Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shank Show. Happy Thursday. Welcome to our program. Here we are talking sports. I'm Bill Shanks. We appreciate you joining us on this Thursday afternoon. Believe it or not, there is baseball on television today. The Los Angeles Dodgers, the second-best team in the National League, will be playing the San Diego Padres. So as I'm watching uh, baseball, I'll be doing the show. Or should I say, as I'm doing the show, I'll be watching baseball. Now, I'll just keep an eye on it. How about that? Just to see how struggling the struggling Dodgers do against the Padres. Kidding, of course. Yeah, I mean, it's fixing to come on. And we're two days away from the Braves, which is outstanding. we got a lot to talk about on the show today, a lot of basketball to talk about, and a little bit of football, of course, some baseball as well. And, gosh, only bad thing about watching this dumb Dodger game is they're going to have Otani on here 47 times in 30 minutes with his uniform on, trying to look all sexy and everything. Gross. Anyway, um, I had fun yesterday with those stories. We had the uh, kind of a, a real switch in, in the middle of the show as uh, I was watching MLB Network. While, I mean, I, I have the TV on while I'm sitting here talking, so I'm not, not just looking at a blank wall or a carpeted wall. Some people think I should, but I don't. I mean, it's obviously... Um, the TVs are on. I got the news channels on in case, you know, they take down our infrastructure again like they did earlier this morning or, or, or whatever. And then I have usually ESPN or MLB Network on. And we uh, had the 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 uh, MLB Network on where we had the um, show about the Dodgers and about the 1988 Dodgers when Kirk Gibson won the World Series for them over Oakland and Dennis Eckersley. And, and we um, started thinking about uh, autographs because I saw Don Drysdale on on the show and Don Drysdale of course uh, passed away many years ago but he was an outstanding pitcher for the Dodgers but anyway made me think of a story of when I got Don Drysdale's autograph which was a pretty cool story and I said you know what why don't we do that why don't we talk about uh, great stories of getting autographs so we had some truly unbelievable calls that were just fun stories to listen to and I thoroughly enjoyed it i hope you did too i hope you heard that and listened to it and um, it's online if you'd like to go hear it at the superstations.com but it was fun and i like to hear those kind of stories every once in a while we do that every once in a while here on the show where we tell stories about different things that uh, we know about so we'll do that again at some point soon for sure i want to talk basketball first and and i want to um obviously mention that georgia won last night over vanderbilt which was a relief a relief. Georgia had a six-game losing streak snapped with that game last night, beating Vanderbilt by 12 points, 76 to 64. The Dogs are now 15-11 on the year, and they're five and eight in the SEC. They'll play 14th-ranked Auburn on Saturday at six o'clock, and they've got two games with Auburn left in the regular season. And uh, Tigers coming off a, a loss. At home last Saturday to Kentucky, so they'll be looking to, to bounce back. They've had a couple of days off now. So, of course, Bruce Pearl has a very good team this year. They're 20-6 and six with a 9-4 and four mark in the SEC. 
Georgia Tech got blown out last night by Clemson, 81-57, to and it was a home game, and it's never never fun when there's a, a, a home loss like that. But Damon Stoudemire, the coach at, at Georgia Tech, kind of went off on his team. And, um, I mean, it was a bad loss, obviously. What is that, 24 points they lost by, and the the – I mean, I don't care what kind of state your team is in. Rebuilding, which I think Georgia Tech is. I don't know if Damon Stoudemire wants to admit that, but he's in his first year. And Tech's not been very good for a couple of years, you know. it's It's, it's been a struggle for them, as it has for Georgia. And we've complained about state of Georgia basketball for, seemed like all 17 years of this show, because it's just not been great consistently, for sure. But the... Yellow Jackets got blown out last night, and their coach, their first-year head coach, was not happy at all. The Jackets never made things interesting, really, in the second half. They missed 19 of 25 shots, and Clemson led by as many as 26. Stoudemire said, when you get to a point on the floor in the game, and I've got both sides of these from the standpoint of the Clemson coach, you're telling them to play the right way, make the extra pass, do the right thing, let's get out of here, nobody gets hurt. Then when you're on the other side like I was tonight, you just want to see who got, who's got who got a competitive spirit. And for me, the last eight minutes of the game, I just felt like we quit. I'm not all right with it, but I'm all right with it. Well, he said, I'm not all right with it, but I am all right with it because that's a reflection on me. And then he said, I've always had a saying, and it was preached to me when I was younger, at times if you're not going to respect what's on the front of your jersey, respect what's on your back because we all got a legacy and a family name. How's that defined should mean something to you. And and then he had a comment that has struck a nerve with a lot of of, uh, of Georgia Tech fans when he had a quote, when I get my guys in, up in here it's going to be different i'm just telling you and i had more than one georgia tech fan send me this quote earlier today and say i don't know if i'm good with that when i get my guys up in here it's going to be different i'm just telling you be pretty much saying i got to get these people off this team now i i'm not going to sit here and try to tell you what is the talent level of the current roster of Georgia Tech basketball. I, I don't I don't lie to you. I have no clue. I don't know. Are, are they underperforming at 11 and 16? Are they overperforming at 11 and 16? Uh, they've not been very good in the conference, obviously, at 4 and 12. So there may be people out there much smarter than me about Georgia Tech basketball that can tell me whether or not this season has been – I mean, I know it's a disappointment because you've got a losing record, right? I mean, there's no point in trying to wonder about that. Certainly, it's an 11-16 mark and a 4-12 and record in the in the ACC. So, that there ain't no, nothing good about that. Um, but, you know, um, Stoudemire kind of went off on them. And in a way – I get the frustration from Georgia Tech fans that hear that and say, well, I don't know if I like that or not. And one said, this kind of pisses me off that he said this. Now, he's a first-year head coach that's talking about players who he mainly, uh, I would imagine, most of them did not commit, uh, did not recruit. And that's not good. 
because you do have that little little period of time where mm, what's going on you know uh, is that is that transition going to work and especially transition with a transfer portal uh, i mean look at the georgia baseball team of course they have a new head coach in west johnson and what is it 26 new players on their roster 26 i mean that's a lot for a baseball team right with the transfer portal and the free freshman class that's just a lot of of people so uh so far it's worked out pretty good they're 4-0 it looks like the the talent levels increase and and everything's kind of fitting in well and again uh, i'm just being honest i don't know the makeup of the of the georgia tech basketball team but i've always said that when you're in the first year of a new head coach you better not have any expectations you better just think none of this matters we're going to have a transition. It's going to take some time. We got to figure things out. We got to do the best we can and and continue to build the program to where we can get better in year two. But Stoudemire coming out and saying, "Hey, when I get my guys up in here, it's going to be different," because he pretty much said that they quit last night. And I would like to hear from Georgia Tech fans later on in the show about what they feel about that. Um, again, this is a situation where. Perhaps a coach needed to call his players out. He was obviously not happy at all with the performance and the effort last night. So maybe this team needed that. Clemson has a good record this year. They're 18-8 and eight now after the win over Georgia Tech, 8-7 and seven in the conference. So they're much better than what Georgia Tech has done through the first 27 games. And, you know, but the turnovers, the issues that he brought up are are obviously troubling and maybe he is kind of setting the table for a mass exodus at the end of the year that's needed i I, we talked earlier in the week about the state of georgia basketball and how that is just not it's just not in good shape and it hadn't been in a long time and there's no real situation that seems to be overly positive right now in in basketball in this state. Georgia, Georgia I mean, we can thank Georgia that's got a, at least a winning record, but they had lost six in a row before last night's game. Georgia Tech not winning, Mercer struck. I mean, there's just a lot of teams and programs that are not in great shape right now. And that question of, well, why continues to pop up? Why, with all the talent in the state, the playoffs are going on right now with high school basketball, why is it so rough? Why can't it be better? Why shouldn't we have an expectation of this ought to be better? This ought to be a better situation than uh, a, a Georgia Tech basketball coach calling his team out because they pretty much quit. So, you know, I, I'm I'm disappointed in in that. Not and and again, there there can be other other um, I guess opinions and and far better than mine probably as far as the accuracy of what. David Stoudemire said, because there's probably people out there who have watched this team a little bit closer than I have. I haven't seen them at all, but it it um, it's interesting. Uh, sometimes a team needs to have that done to them. Of okay, you know what? Now I know now saying that when they'll be better when it'll be better when my players get in here. That's a little much, but I don't think it's wrong if the coach feels like his team quit to come out and say it. And obviously he took responsibility of it because he said it was on him. So hopefully some Georgia Tech fans, uh, perhaps who know a little bit better about Georgia Tech basketball, can call me up later and, and let me know about this. I'd like to hear your opinion. The uh, 
Padres and the and the Dodgers have started. The Padres uh, for their spring training hat have these uh, nasty yellow hats on. Um, I don't mind the brown and yellow, but they have a yellow hat on. You know, I just think of Kenny Rogers' song, and the folks all called him yellow. And here's a bunch of baseball players with yellow hats on. That's just kind of awkward, like. Uh, but Mookie Betts is the first hitter of the year for the Dodgers. And he is facing Joe Musgrove, who I thought was going to be out for a little bit longer period of time. I guess not. He's starting the first preseason game for the San Diego team. But, it's you know, it's just good to see baseball back on. I was talking with David Johnson on his show in Athens this morning on 960 The Ref. And it's like, thank God we've got some, we've got some baseball going on. Of course, we've had Georgia baseball going on since last week. They're 4-0. Georgia Tech's 4-0. You know, we're going to have the dogs on, obviously, this weekend as well. And the Braves start in two days, so it's just good to have. Especially today, it's 70 degrees outside. How great is that for it to be 70 degrees and there's a baseball game on television? That's pretty cool. Uh, Last night, Ronald Acuna Jr. was named as the number one player in baseball. And Mookie Betts was number two. And that uh, is not a surprise. I mean, we talked yesterday a little bit about the fact that the Braves already had eight players in the in the top 100 from 11 through uh, through um, 100, and we were just waiting on the one through 10, and so it was it was Ronald Acuna, and that's not a surprise. I mean, my gosh, how <laughs> what do you want the kid to do to prove he's the best player in the game right now? After the show, or during the show, I should say, after they revealed the list, uh, Ronald Acuna was on with the panel there on MLB Network, and he actually did the interview in English, which was really, really impressive. Good for him. It wasn't great English, but it was in English. And Franco Garcia, the the interpreter for the Braves, who helps all the Latin players, he just sat there like a nun on the log, and that was fine. He was fine with that. He got some good TV time. But he didn't have to say a word because Ronald Acuna, again, it was a little hard to understand him. But, man, I, I didn't care. I loved the fact that Ronald was speaking English and, and trying to, to uh, communicate with those guys. And he did a good job. So I'm happy for him there. But, my gosh, I don't think any of us are surprised that he's the best player in baseball. By the way, last year going into the season, he was 25th. <laughs> of course, he was coming off that year where he – had come back from the ACL, and he did not have a great year in 2022. I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, it wasn't awful, but it wasn't impressive, and we saw last year what he was able to do. I mean, he only had, in 119 games last year, he had, or in 2022, he had 15 home runs and 29 solo bases. Well, I mean, I think you know that, that, obviously, um, that obviously that's – a, a big change, and it's obvious because he was able to to get more uh, away from that surgery date when he tore his ACL in 2021 and, and kind of went off. But he was the MVP in a unanimous vote, and the numbers he put up with those home runs and stolen bases, it was a no-brainer. Mookie Betts was second. Of course, he's got a position change this year. He's going to second base from the outfield. The Red Sox fans have to be just absolutely furious with the fact that they gave Mookie Betts away. I know they got Alex Verdugo, but my gosh, you gave Mookie Betts away. That That's awful. Uh, that was truly, truly awful. Aaron Judge was third uh, down from a spot last year. Shohei Otani was 
down from one to four, mainly because he's not going to be able to pitch this year. Freddie Freeman is number five. That was up from 10th a year before. Corey Seager was sixth. Juan Soto was number seven last night on the top ten list. Jordan Alvarez, the DH for the Astros, who's a hitting son of a gun. I want to tell you, when I look back and think of the World Series in 2021 that Atlanta won over Houston, I think the one thing that amazes me the most, and of course we've got so many great memories, the the Adam Duvall Grand Slam, the Solaire home run out of the ballpark, the, the Dansby home run, the Freddie home run in game six, right? The Darno home run in game game three. But how about the fact that the Atlanta Braves pitchers, they totally stymied Jordan Alvarez. This guy is outstanding. He's a really good player, and he didn't do squat against Atlanta. And that was a big reason why the Braves won the World Series. Garrett Cole of the Yankees is number nine, and Julio Rodriguez of the Seattle Mariners is number number 10. So, the Braves had nine players in the top 100. 9% of the top 100 players out of 760 in this sport are members of the Atlanta Braves. Now, only the left fielder, the shortstop, and the DH. No, the DH was one of them. Left fielder and the um, shortstop. The only one of the, of the uh, starting nine that was not in the top 100, uh, which is pretty cool to have that kind of dominance, really. Uh, it was it was outstanding. So uh, no big surprise that the Braves had number one player in the game because I think we all know <laughs> Ronald Acuna is a – and, you know, what are the expectations for Ronald Acuna? I thought about this last night when I was watching his interview. And, of course, we're, we're going to have a lot of conversations about the upcoming season as we go along here for the rest of February and into the month of March. But what, what should we expect from him? Can he do – better than what he did last year, which I don't know how that may be possible. He's going to be striving for better because there's no question this this guy is just on another level. I mean, he's just kind of stupid of how good he is. But when you have 41 home runs, 73 stolen bases, 35 doubles, four triples, 106 RBI, 80 walks, uh, a 337 batting average, a 416 OBP, 1.012 OPS. How much better can you get? He only missed three games last year, and that is kind of crazy, right? So, um, but you have to wonder what in his mind is he going to want to try to do 50-50? Is that the 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 I guess the goal? Because you you can tell that this young man is goal oriented, and he wants to not only help his team win, but he wants to have the best stats in baseball and I I think he's I think he's the type of talent that if you try to doubt him you're going to look like a fool because he's just ridiculously good and to have that as your leadoff hitter good lord have mercy that's unbelievable really really good so anyway congratulations to Ronald Acuña the number 1 player in the sport of baseball next Nick Saban has comments about college football we'll talk about that and more i'm bill shanks thank you very much for being with us this is the bill shanks show 24 minutes after the hour we appreciate you sticking with us here talking sports on a 
on a Thursday afternoon. I wanted to mention that, uh, of course, tomorrow we're going to be at the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame Museum. This weekend in Macon, it is the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame induction ceremonies. Tomorrow night is the jacket ceremony, of which I am the MC, and I am uh, looking forward to that once again. And then on Saturday, it is the it is the Fan Fest, and that is the opportunity for anyone and everyone to come and to see the inductees, get autographs, get your picture made with them, say hello, shake their hand, whatever. And then the black tie ceremony, or not black tie, that means tux, and I ain't wearing no tux. Uh, that, that will be on Saturday night at the City Auditorium. I'll have a tie on, which I hate, but I'll do it. Don't worry. <clears throat> just not used to a tie. Those of you who wear a tie every, every day, God bless you. I don't know how you do that. Good grief. I'm serious now. That's just hard. That's, that's rough. I don't know how you wear a tie every day. I used to have to do it when I was on the news on TV every day, but believe me, I, that tie was on from 6 to 6.30 and 10 to 10.30. That was it. I cannot stand wearing a tie. Anyway, the big ceremony Saturday night. We do hope you'll come to the Fan Fest. The inductees this year are Sharif Abdul-Rahim, the former Atlanta Hawk, the former Wheeler basketball star up in Atlanta for high school. Eric Berry from Creekside High School, who went on to have a great career at the University of Tennessee and then at the NFL level, of course, an unbelievable career for Eric Berry with Kansas City. Chris Carpenter from Gainesville, Georgia, who was a tremendous baseball and football player at the University of Georgia. Thomas Davis, who was the hardest-hitting son of a gun you'll ever see in your whole entire life. He was a killer now. That boy could pop you in the mouth. He was unbelievable. I loved watching Thomas Davis play for the University of Georgia. He was something now. Had a great career for Carolina. Unbelievable story, and just so happy to be able to meet him in person. Claude Felton, the great sports information director for the University of Georgia and cannot wait to to see Claude who's been such a great part of my life and every reporter in the in the uh, in the country really then we've got Paul Johnson the former head coach at both Georgia Southern and Georgia Tech Brian McCann will be here and he will be the uh, of course kind of the Braves inductee this year Brian McCann great Braves baseball player the most games ever by a catcher in Atlanta Braves history by Mr. McCann. Wendy White, a great junior tennis player, is going to be inducted as well. And here are the others that will be at FanFest on Saturday. I've had a lot of people ask about the, the list, so let me kind of run through it. Tony Barnhart, Jackie Bradford, Bobby Bryant, Hugh Durham, Steve Holman, Jim Hughes, Brian Jordan, Roger Kaiser, George Patton, Adrian Peterson, how about that, boys and girls? Ron Reed, who was inducted last year, can't wait to see Ron Reed. Randy Rhino, Jimmy Robinson, Coach Robinson, Phil Schaefer, Brenda Client Thomas, and maybe, 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 maybe John Smoltz. We don't know. We're not sure yet about that, but John Smoltz is the MC of the event, and 
we hope he's going to be there for the for the fan fest don't quote me on that now but i mean that's what i'm being told that right now john hopes to be there early enough to be at the fan fest that starts at one o'clock so if you're in middle georgia and you want to uh you want to come and to be a part of a, the the hall of fame ceremonies you got to do it you got to come one o'clock at the museum on cherry street in downtown macon from the secret text line, you ain't got no tux, Bush Leaguer. You're right, brother. You, you and and the one who's sending me this message on the secret text line, if, if he saw me in a tux, I think he would thought probably they would put me in the coffin. And if they bury me in a tux in the coffin, I'm going to haunt them forever. But that ain't going to happen either. But don't worry. Uh, yeah. So hope everybody will come. That's great. The Adrian Peterson's going to be there. Great Georgia Southern Eagle. Glad he's coming. That'll be a great great time on saturday at the fan fest and of course the ceremony on saturday night all right um coach saban had some things to say and he wants to be a voice from for college football here's what he had to say if my voice can bring about some meaningful change i want to help any way i can because i love the players and i love college football what we have now is not college football, not college football as we know it. You hear somebody use the word student-athlete, that doesn't exist. Well, I think we all know he's right about that. He said, I'm not really looking for a job, but I do know I'd like to impact college football the best way I can, whether it's being a spokesperson or anything else. Listen, I'm for the players. It's not that I'm not for the players. I want to see the players have a great quality of life and be able to create value for themselves. But we've got we've gone to nobody talking about education, nobody talking about creating value for their future, talking only about how much money I can make while I'm in college. I think the consequences of this could come down the road when some of these guys get 28 and 29 years old that maybe they didn't prepare themselves for when they can't play football anymore, which is what you should do when you're in college. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I know. That's it's it's kind of unbelievable, right? Saban said he would like to see any player compensation model that is created to be brought in house at the various schools and taken away from the donor based collectives. Of course, then there are the Title Nine issues. He said people can give money to the university again and get a tax deduction for doing it, and the university in some kind of way shares whether it's share revenue whether it's buying marketing rights which is a possibility you can buy somebody's marketing rights as an institution and i don't want to say cap because that sounds like a salary cap but find a way for schools to invest the same amount of money in players just like everybody can invest the same amount in a scholarship this becomes part of the scholarship and while saban wants to see players get their share of the financial pie he said the only way of this works is if there's also a commitment on the player's side just like an NFL player has a contract or a coach has a contract, something in place so that you don't have all this rating of rosters and mass movement. I wonder what fans are going to say when they don't even know the team from year to year because there's no development of teams just bringing in new players every year. Saban said he is not nearly as well versed in the legality of everything as such people as SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey or his own former athletic director Greg Byrne. They would be more qualified 
to serve in the commissioner's role than I am. They're in it every day and know all the issues. That's why I'm hesitant to come up with a firm solution because you don't know the consequences of the solution relative to, all right, do we have to pass antitrust laws to be able to do it this way? What does that entail? It's one thing to come up with a solution. It's another thing to implement it. I'm just here to help. And, you know, I, I, I applaud Nick Saban for speaking up. Now, I, I, think, I think we have... I think we have also, in talking all of this out to death to a certain extent, I mean, just talking it out and saying, okay, what what about this? What about that? We did it to a certain extent yesterday with Tony Barnhart. You go around and around in circles about the different things and how we're going down the road of player employment contracts and not scholarships. That's where the antitrust gets involved. That's where the possibility of unionization gets involved. That's when you have a whole nother level of mess, for lack of a better term, because then it gets really complicated. Then it's not so simple of collect a collective on the side providing all kinds of money for different things that you want to provide the money for. You know, right now, we don't know what the players have to do in order to collect the money from a collective. Now, it's supposed to be, we're going to use your name, image, and likeness like for a commercial or put you on a billboard or, you know, you're going to go to, you're going to go to, raising canes and have a photo op and you're going to sell chicken through the window how many times we've seen that over the last couple years there's there's got to be some service back for the money it's not just we're going to pay you money because you're coming to uh, our school to play football now how much work does that have to be well i don't really know the answer to that to be honest with you i have no idea I don't know, you know, okay, come do a, let's go back to the Raising Canes example. I want you to come to Raising Canes. I've got a Raising Canes, which I wish I had one in Macon because I'd eat there all the time. That's some damn good chicken, boys and girls, I can tell you that. But you're going to come to Raising Canes, Bill Shanks Raising Canes, and you're going to have a photo op. You're going to tell people to come eat at Bill Shanks Raising Canes. You're going to... uh sell chicken through the drive through window do a commercial hey it's so-and-so i'm the linebacker for the georgia bulldogs i want you to come to bill shanks raising canes and get some chicken fingers and some sauce and in exchange for that i'm going to give you money through a collective or through a an agency that you have 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 done you know, have, have, you have been a part of, rather, I should say. Um, but if that's one day of work and you get paid $100,000, that's suspicious. I think it's suspicious. I mean, I think it's a little bit of a question mark if you're going to only have a guy do, I mean, even if it's a big shot guy. $100,000 just to be on a commercial and to give me one day of work? 
We don't know any of that. We have no idea what any of that may entail. We have no idea what it really is all about because it's kind of shielded for us. And it's not done through the university where we can say, okay, open your books and let's see how much this guy's getting or that guy's getting. Have no idea. We have all kinds of of different things going on about rumors of, of what players get, but we don't know what they're doing in exchange for that except for just being themselves, which is a football player. And, you know, I, I have many times said we need to stop this student-athlete crap. We need to instead call this what it is. It's minor league football. We like minor league football more than we do, some of us, major league football. Minor league football is what college football is right now. Well, they're getting paid. So why not call it minor league football? Minor leaguers in baseball get paid. Not as much as major leaguers, but they get paid. So why don't we call college football minor league football? What's the difference? Oh, well, they're students. Who cares? I don't think anybody cares anymore if they're students. Student athletes, like like Saban said, the student athlete. Who cares? And to be honest with you, I've said many times I'm not going to go back on it. I don't really give a damn if they go to school or not. Why do I care? It's not my life, not my child. If it's my child and if he's a college football player, he's going to go to school and do what he's supposed to do because if not, I'm going to whip his ass. But that's if it's my child, you know, Bill's imaginary child. But uh, as a fan, I don't. if they don't go to school, that's their own problem. That's not my problem. It's not my fault. Not my, not, not my business. It's unfortunate that they don't decide to go to school and class and enjoy their time as a, as a college student. They'll be 54 one day and wish they could look back and wish it was yesterday when they were in school. But that's their problem. It's not mine. All I want them to do is get ready to play on Saturday at 3.30, Sanford Stadium, be there, Aloha, right? That's all I care about. So, I, you know, I, and now that they're getting paid, stay, stay where you can play. Don't get kicked out of school because you don't want to go to class. That's all I ask of you. If you're if you're if you're dumb enough to not go to school, that's your problem. But I mean, this student athlete stuff, you know. And I think for Nick Saban to try to say we want to preserve that student athlete mantra is commendable. I don't know if it's possible. I I, I don't know. I, I mean, has the train left the station? We've said many times that once this kind of got out of the toothpaste thing, it was over with. So can even anything that he's talking about bring it back to where it's a uh, viable situation with rules and regulations and uniformity or is it just too late makes you wonder doesn't it makes you wonder but at least if there is a voice like Nick Saban that can say something I mean they're not people aren't gonna listen to me I wish they would people aren't gonna listen to me though it's got to be someone like a Nick Saban or someone like a big name in the sport that can say, hold on, what's going on here is ridiculous, and this needs to be changed. NCAA, can you change it? Now, if the NCAA were to make changes, they're going to face lawsuits, but that may be inevitable to get through it. It may be all they can do. So, But I'm glad, I'm happy that Nick Saban has come out and said these things, and hopefully he can make a difference. Hopefully he can make an impact and have 
uh, an impactful voice in this sport. It's needed. It's needed. And if you think it's over, I think it's only started. That's the scary part about it. We're going to take a break. Before we do, you're not going to believe what just happened here in the last 15 minutes while I've been on the air here. But in their first spring training game of the season, the Los Angeles Dodgers scored eight runs in the first inning. All right, Braves, you better score nine in your first inning on Saturday. Eight to nothing, and San Diego just came to bat. How about that? Crazy. We'll take a break. Back with more right after this. All right, back on the program. Quarter till top of the hour. All right, the uh, from Twitter, as a tech fan, Dino, rather, I'm sorry. Dino, as a tech fan, I can tell you I have no problem with it. Speaking of what Damon Sodermeyer said, these guys are not playing fundamental ball. He's saying he will bring in guys who will. Besides the two freshmen, everyone else can go. Nobody is bigger a tech fan than me, and I agree with what he said. Okay, that's good to hear, Dino. I appreciate that very much. I mean, I, I, I appreciate that, yeah. I mean, it's, that's interesting. It really is. Um, sometimes that needs to happen in situations where there's a new coach. Regardless of the sport, you have to kind of clean out the dead weight that's been holding your program down. There, usually, nine times out of ten, there's a reason you get your job. And if you come in in year one and you have some people you need to get rid of, again, now with the transfer portal, it's easy to do that. So, yeah, if there's some kind of dead wood on that Georgia Tech basketball program, why not? All right, uh, more football now. It's not been made official as of yet, but it looks like Dell McGee is going to be the new head coach at Georgia State. You may remember that Sean Elliott, the head coach at Georgia State, left to go become the tight ends coach at the University of South Carolina, his family, Elliot's family was still in Columbia, and he wanted to move back to be closer to his family, so that's what he's doing. And so as a replacement, uh, the two names that have been out there more than any, Buster Faulkner, the offensive coordinator for Georgia Tech, who did a very fine job for them last year, and then also uh, Del McGee. Del McGee has been with Georgia for several years. He is the run game coordinator and the running backs coach. And I think it's been kind of inevitable that at some point Dell McGee was going to get a head coaching job in college football. He was a very successful head coach in the high school ranks at Carver-Columbus. He has, um, I think, done a great job at Georgia with the running backs, and also the recruiting has been outstanding. He's an outstanding recruiter with a tremendous amount of contacts in this state. I mean, when Dell McGee calls you up, you're going to – take his phone call and you're going to listen to him so if Georgia State were to get him that would be a huge coup I think for the Panthers football program as far as Georgia's concerned I mean they have not replaced Brian McClendon yet and and Brian McClendon was a very good recruiter as well so that if in fact they were to lose Dale McGee would be two coaches that Kirby Smart would have to replace we're getting kind of close to the beginning of spring practice here not too far away and therefore, you would think that uh, those two moves are going to be something that has to be the priority for for Kirby Smart. 
look, uh, Del McGee's one of the best recruiters they've got on the staff, and that won't be easy to, to lose by any means. But uh, when it comes to replacing these coaches, I, I hate to be simplistic about it, but I kind of take the approach of I trust Kirby Smart. And doesn't mean that Kirby's perfect. Doesn't mean that he's going to do everything perfectly right. Uh, there may have been one or two coaches that have come in over the eight years he's been the head coach that may not have turned out to be the best fit in the world. But for the most part, he, he knows what he wants, what he what type of coach he wants. And you've got to believe that they're going to be great recruiters when he brings them in. So I, I do. I kind of feel like, okay, well, if Del McGee leaves, that'll be a shame. It was inevitable. It was going to happen at some point. But I think Kirby Smart can take care of it. I really do. So we'll see. We'll see if it's announced officially and and uh, what the future holds in store for both Del McGee and for the Georgia State football program, which I think would be in, in good hands. I think they would have a chance to really get to that next level with, with Manny Diaz as the – or excuse me, Del McGee as the head coach. Well, uh, speaking of Manny Diaz, that's who I was going to speak about next. It was announced today that Manny Diaz, who is the legendary coach for tennis, uh, men's tennis at the University of Georgia, is going to retire at the end of this year. 46 years in Athens with the Georgia tennis program. He was an All-American from 1972 through 1976. And then he served as a an assistant coach with Dan McGill from 1982 to 1988. And he was named the starting head coach in the 1988-89 season. <laughs> That's ridiculous. But Coach Diaz, uh, who's a member of the George Sports Hall of Fame, by, by, the, by the way, has been unbelievable. You know, I know we talk about football mostly on this on this show, uh, basketball, obviously baseball a little bit too. But, you know, Georgia has had, with Chris Hack as the golf coach, who's still there, the legendary, the great Jack Bowerly, who's a great friend. I love Jack. He's uh, just an outstanding guy and outstanding, outstanding coach. And then Manny Diaz, they have had some unbelievable coaches in that in that complex for the last several years that have just been champions. They really have. They've been unbelievable. And I think um, to see Manny Diaz step away is hard because he's just been there so damn long. I mean, he's the winningest coach in SEC history. 771 victories. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, they've made the NCAA tournament every season as Diaz with with Diaz as the head coach. They've won four NCAA tournament championships, two more indoor titles. They have won the SEC championships in five different decades, winning the SEC a total of ten times, and he's produced five individual NCAA tournament winners and three in doubles. I mean, there's no resume even close to Manny what Manny Diaz has done. When he went into the George Sports Hall of Fame a couple of years ago, it was like, this is kind of stupid. This is ridiculous. And, and you know, I think uh, to see all this success, like, oh, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. He, he's a no-brainer. And, and that's exactly what, what he is. And I, I hate to see that he's leaving, but I'm not surprised because he's had a storied career and he's ready to step aside, just like Jack was a few years ago. So congratulations to Coach Diaz on a just a wonderful career and just – just so happy for him. Um, hey, Alex, uh, intern Alex is is back at, at World Headquarters, and he said that he doesn't mind 
uh, about what Damon Stoudemire said either. Alex, uh, so what are your thoughts on this on this Georgia Tech basketball team? It's uh, it's, it's you know it's kind of what he said a couple weeks ago. His team is interesting because they're you know they they beat you know North Carolina and Duke at home, and he's right. the third coach to do that in his first season. Um, but then they turn around and they just get blown out at home by Clemson and Wake Forest. So it's just they're a confusing team, as he put it a couple weeks ago. So, you know, it it's just it's frustrating is what it is, basically. Is the talent where it should have been more closer to 500, in your opinion? I mean, it, I mean they've got good players. It's just sometimes they just look lost out there and they don't know what they're doing or what, you know, and – just matchups could be a problem, and it's just – it's like a mixture of different things. So is that first-year coach problems? I don't think it's necessarily first-year coach problems because they, they still have coaches – they still have, you know, B.J. Elder on the staff who was on Passner's staff. So, mm-hmm. you know, so he knows a lot of the current players, you know, still. So I don't think – I think it's just him trying to just get his feet under him and just – implement his system but you know it's but just they haven't taken to it I, I don't i think they've taken to it because i mean he, you know you can tell that he cares in his post game I, I do listen to his post game press conferences and you can tell he cares but it's just it's not translating for whatever reason mm. well you know and when you say that the only thing that i think of is he is a first-time head coach right he's never coached before so He's kind of getting his feet wet. I mean, as a head coach, he's kind of getting his feet wet along with these players as far as trying to to learn his way. I mean, when you're a first-time head coach, I'm sorry. When you put those shoes on and you put that that different – you're in that different chair. You're in the main chair. You, you got a lot of responsibility. And, and sometimes coaches – who are first-year head coaches in something like the ACC, it, it's as much of a learning curve for the coaches as it is for the players. So it, it's interesting that, um, that, I mean, I'm glad you and and uh, Dino both have given me some insight on that. And, I, you know, again, I, I have no idea, but I think to to hear a coach be that frustrated, and like you said, there's no question, you beat good teams like Duke, Duke and North Carolina and you just absolutely wet the bed against the Clemson. And Clemson's – a decent team, but still, my gosh, if the effort is being called into question. And, you know, there's nothing that will get a coach to come off that talent and run people away if the, if the effort's not there. I mean, that will drive a coach crazy, and they'll want you to be gone pretty quick. So we'll see how Tech does moving forward. We'll see uh, if they can improve before the end of the season or if it's just going to be a clean house situation when, once the season's over. You're listening to The Bill Shank Show.